0: Hello and welcome to God vs. God, where we pit ancient gods against each other in a head-to-head contest for the chance at the ultimate comeback. I'm Andrew here with Matt. Hello. Ready to start season two and ready to start the process to summon our second deity. Yes. So we're back in the GVG studios, as I like (laughs) to call them. Yes. A little bit after the new year, but still still technically in january as as we're recording this that's true and you know i had a couple of uh resolutions uh this new year and of course one or two of them have already uh fallen by the wayside sure but you know that happens but this recording is going to get me back on track for probably my most important one hmm. which is summoning an ancient egyptian god out of retirement to help save the world
1: perfectly timed yeah yeah that's so
0: great. uh because this is the start of season two ancient egyptian gods yes we plan to add an egyptian god to our new pantheon in order to save the troubled world so you know geographically we're just jumping across the mediterranean uh mm. from the north side to the south side <laughs> uh but in addition we're actually going back in time right uh as the written records in the Egyptian religion go back to 3000 BCE. Yeah. uh, Predating our season one sources by at least 1500 years. And so just a little background here, you know, Egypt had their own pantheon, many deities, different roles. And some of the names I think in the forms are going to be somewhat familiar to many of our listeners. Uh, We're going to talk about Osiris, Isis. Anubis, who was the uh, dog headed God right. and famously Bastet, who was the cat goddess. Yes. Ever popular. So, you know, if you're not that familiar with Egyptians, I think you're going to be particularly rewarded as we learn about these deities uh, together. You know, there's going to be plenty of uh, male genital mutilation. <laughs> serpent, always popular serpent battles. Yes. And just general weirdness. Uh, I mean, it's also, I think, uh, an interesting cosmology and philosophy. It's going to be kind of interesting to learn about. We're going to start this season with Ra, who is both the god of the sun and the primary creator god, and his daughter Hathor. So uh, we're going to stick with our tried and true five categories, head-to-head judgment, determine our winner for... Which determined our winner for season one, Victor. And as I said, tried and true. But I do want to acknowledge that you know we had some feedback on one of our categories, uh, matinee idol, Mm. which uh, which God would make a better movie or limited series. Right. Few listeners questioned a little bit as to whether this actually contributes to finding the best God to help save us. You know, and I want you to know that we heard those comments, <laughs> and then we decided just to ignore them. blithely ignore
1: it. <laughs> yes, not even yes. I mean we we gave you seconds of our valuable attention, but then, uh, yeah, just we, went the other way.
0: We, we decided finding a new category was just too hard. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry,
1: thanks thanks for speaking up, but uh, no can do
0: All right. Uh, we hear you, but that's it. So uh, you have anything else to add before we kick off here on? I, I think you kicked
1: it off. Well, Andrew, I think the uh, the folks that I spoke with, a select few uh, dedicated listeners just mentioned we were going to Egypt for season two. They were uh, predictably thrilled and, and you know, said, you know, first season, although just so mainstream, all these well-known characters, all these uh, very conventional plots. Yeah. Why don't you guys apply your crowd-pleasing, family-friendly formula to something much more (laughs) obscure, much more uh, out there, a little more unexpected, a little more bizarre. I think Egypt, based on the work we've done so far, is going to deliver that and then some. So, friends, your prayers have been answered. It's about to get even weirder.
0: (laughs) Season two. (laughs) It is. is. All right. So I have – I'm going to start it off, and I have the creator god as well as god of the sun, Ra, also known as Ray or autumn ray um so ra in terms of etymology literally meant sun in uh, ancient egyptian so very straightforward sun so with, a, with a u sun with a u yes, yes the the thing up in the sky so <laughs> the autumn part is from what was originally a separate creator god and his name meant to complete or to finish mm. um But over time, the two were merged together, and as ancient deities with modern sensibilities, uh, they decided to adopt the hyphenated name. And this is something that Ra is going to do with a a lot of other deities we'll see throughout the season. Just using that hyphenated name, uh, there's Amun-Re, there's Sobek-Re, which is uh, the crocodile god. So uh, we'll see that come up a few other times. But so in the beginning, there was a swirly, whirly ocean of chaos called the Nun. And self-created into this water was Autumn Ray. So Ra is alone in nothingness, uh, you know, which can pap- perhaps be thought of as kind of a womb-like environment. Sometimes it was uh, actually depicted as an egg. And uh, though the Egyptians wouldn't have heard of these, I sort of thought of it as a sensory deprivation tank. Oh yeah, I so he's it. just fl- he's just floating around, kind of doesn't feel anything. It's warm, uh, but gradually Ra becomes aware of himself as a separate being, and is maybe getting a little nauseous floating around in nothingness. <laughs> so he decides to create land as as a base of operations. Sure, a little island that uh, the Egyptians called the Ben Ben Mount Ben Ben. Hmm. So he's there, uh, and then starts creation and there's two schools of thought of of how he did this in one uh school of thought it's just by thinking of things or speaking them that ra creates them Hmm. for example he has insight and then he realized oh i I just had an insight and he has created the deity sia uh the god of insight Hmm. and then realizing that he could create through his own words he creates who uh the god of authoritative speech and so on so just as he thinks of things things uh come into existence but in other versions of the creation myth um the act of creation is actually much more explicitly Mm -hmm. physical and in these autumn ray is called the one who made himself millions so in this one autumn ray is there on his little island He's, he's created mount ben ben and he's alone on the island and you know now he has a sense of up and down and he's not floating around weightlessly anymore so you know he starts uh checking himself out say feeling things around <laughs> you know and uh you know one thing leads to another um and uh you know he starts feeling himself in- and he- he finishes uh, doing that and there's a little bit of a mess. That's right. So he takes the mess um, that, that he's, he's uh, let out and he puts it in his mouth. We're uh, actually, his, sorry. he puts it where his mouth, his mouth or his beak, depending on uh, <laughs> how, 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 you, how you want details, details <laughs> to picture this. Uh, so uh, which acts as a womb and, uh, gestates the goddess uh Tefnut the goddess of moisture mm. and spits her out uh of his beak and, and then he blows Shu the god of air out of his nostril um not sure which nostril but um and then I'm going to break in the uh, narrative, just for a second uh, cuz I'm going to sh- flash my screen up mm. here format's benefit he is always always embracing our audio
1: only uh, format with yes I-
0: visuals yeah what, what i'd like to do is have matt sort of describe this to the listener for their benefit and um and and i think that that will kind of help them get a feeling of for for what this creator god uh looks like so just and we shared that can you see that matt
1: i can now see yes and that's it's a it's a Remarkable image. Uh do you just want me to kind of freestyle
0: on what's happening? Yeah, there? yeah. All it, right. So it, tell the listeners what they're seeing. It looks like seeing.
1: at the center we have we have what I assume is is Ra, so the sort of a falcon head on yep. a man's body, but the man is is very well tanned, first of all, must be all that time in the sun. Looks like a headdress that contains what appears to be the sun, uh which again, fitting for yep. uh, for for his, his his role. Uh and looks like there's some sort of serpent Woven around that sun, a little serpent head sticking out of the sun. That's right. Uh, I'm eye. also seeing. So he's got two two uh, pieces of business in his hands. Looks like his right hand is holding a staff, which may be the the Waz sort of staff of, of a ruler. Um, the left hand appears to be holding the Ankh symbol. If I'm if I'm not mistaken. Oh
0: wow, he's, yes. done, his, he's done his homeworks, people. <laughs> there, there is some crossover with uh,
1: yeah. the second part of our program. So staff in the right, Ankh in the left. He appears to be on some sort of very minimalist kind of uh, kind of fancy canoe kind of boat. <laughs> yeah, uh, I see some oars in the back. I see an, a, sort of a classic Egyptian eye in the front, and then inexplicably floating uh, in the front of the boat appears to be some sort of scarab or some kind of beetle. That,
0: that um, there
1: is the, the the entire image is very two dimensional, very flat, very well apportioned. This dung beetle of sorts appears to be way way too big, about the size of a poodle, <laughs> and just sort of. In a single dimension, floating above the, the top of the boat, uh, does that does that suit the needs of the listener to to uh, to tell the story of this image?
0: I, I think that I think you you've nailed it perfectly. I, yes. I'm I'm you've created a a word uh, a word picture for them, and, and so I'm sure they have good idea of what we got going forward. Yes. That was the Ankh, which is the symbol of life that he's got, yes. and he's got the symbol of the ruler. And I will point that scarab is is a depiction of another version of Ra. So I said mm. Ra likes to hyphenate, and there's a, a version of him, Kepri Ray, uh, which in which his falcon head has been replaced by a scarab. Interesting. And it's not not the head of the scarab, but is the whole scarab, the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing is now his face. <laughs> uh, so, and that that is how he he appears. That's his morning look. Yes, <laughs> that's how he gets <laughs> up in the morning. The, <laughs> the good luck. Scarab. Yeah, yeah. Quite an outfit. There it is. So, uh, and the, so it, at some point after this, you know, that hand that started everything, uh, would which it he, he's regrown apparently, but that hand, the hand of Autumn, is transformed into a goddess consort of Autumn Ray. Um, so, I think we're probably better off just leaving the implications uh, of that for Pharaonic Egypt's gender roles alone <laughs> for now. Uh, but that is uh, h- how they styled it. Yes. Um, and Adam Ray goes on to create 80 different gods. Uh, he also gives Tefnut and Shu additional roles as truth and the life giver, uh, respectively. Um, and, you know, depending on which uh, methodology. You believe in he's either just naming these things and he's creating them or the gods are actually being created out of his sweat oh and uh Ra was also responsible for uh creating humans in in most of the egyptian myths and when we finally get to that uh the story is that shu and tefnut who are his uh beloved children wandered away from Ra one day and, and Ra freaks out a little bit he, he's deciding you know, he's he's got to find them. And and the method he chooses to do this is he's going to detach his eye and send his detachable eye flying out there to look for them. Right. He's very, you probably, know, very
1: comfortable. He doesn't want to get up. And and if the eye detaches, it does the job for you. Why not outsource?
0: Yeah. And, and, and apparently the eye flies and, and he does not have this ability. Hmm. Uh, but but I would say he is also at this point was a cyclops. Oh, uh, so so he only had one eye. And he, he had was the one eye, dispatching it he,
1: elsewhere, rendering him sightless for the period. I would assume.
0: Yeah, well, he was, but then he decides to. Uh, well, he is a. This this would maybe short sighted, so to speak. So he <laughs> creates himself another eye. Yes, he's it's like, like, oh, that, I could
1: I could just do that. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm creator god. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: I can do that. So so he does that, and you know that way he can scroll on his phone or whatever while he's waiting. <laughs> and uh they still weren't back so he begins to worry and uh perhaps to cry and in another version he doesn't cry then but he sheds tears of joy at the return of his children when they are finally returned and then lastly there's a third version where it is the eye of Ra that gets upset when it sees that it's been replaced by another eye oh sure a little jealous uh but from whatever the source whether it's sadness Joy or anger—it is from those tears that the first humans were born. Oh wow! So the humans are born from from the tears tears of Ra. Uh, Unclear if
1: they were happy tears, sad tears.
0: Yeah, maybe but some that's combination. Where we come from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know, the takeaways you know here is that Ra's eyes detachable, which we're just gonna keep coming up. Um, <laughs> has a bit of a mind of its own, right? And two the uh, creation of humans was. A byproduct of an unfortunate event uh, with either tears of joy or, or, or sadness. Right. So, you know, after creating the earth, humans, uh, the gods, the plants, the animals, there was a period where Rod just ruled the earth directly. Uh, he's, he's created everything and now he's just ruling from down on the ground. Um, and at this time, there's no such thing as death. Uh, but the strain of creating the universe and then ruling the earth directly, you know, probably setting settling a lot of petty disputes among the first humans, a lot of like sure. Judge Judy kind of action, right? It start, starts taking its toll on him, and Ross starts showing his age, uh, but in kind of a unique way, um, and this ends up leading to some turmoil. So I'm going to quote from a text known as the Book of the Heavenly Cow.
1: Uh, I, will, I will allude to that later on as well. Yes, yes, classic. So that's kind
0: of the 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 start. It is a classic of the of the genre. So, in the in the book, it says, when he had been in kingship over mankind and gods combined, mankind proceeded to contrive a plot against the person of Ray. And now his Majesty had grown old. His bones being silver, his flesh of gold, his hair of genuine lapis lazuli. So. Yeah, interesting aging process. But... Yeah, that sounds pretty nice, actually, pretty flattering. Yeah, but the humans weren't weren't having it, uh, mm-hmm. because His Majesty became aware of the plot being contrived against him by mankind, and so His Majesty said to those who were in his retinue, "Please summon to me my eye," and then he gets a whole list of primordial gods that he once summoned, and it is stealthily that you must bring them, lest mankind see and they lose heart, as you come back with them to the palace so that they may offer their sound advice. So he, he knows there's a plot and he he calls to advice a council uh, and rock calls On the advice of his council for a volunteer to take the role of the eye of Ra to put this rebellion down. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that, because uh, I think that might be covered a little bit later. Indeed. but I, But I will say that it did not go too well for the rebels. <laughs> no. and a bit of bit of a spoiler, <laughs> but in the aftermath of this rebellion uh, and it being put down, Ra decides that it is maybe, in fact, time for him to take a step back. And he and those primordial creators decide re- they're going to retreat from the Earth. Mm. He leaves some younger gods in place to to keep the humans in line, uh, but you know he can't go into full retirement. He still needs to do the job of being the sun. Only now he's gonna do it in the sky. Right. So up to this point, he's just been the sun has just been walking around about <laughs> six and a half feet above the earth, uh, you know, six inches above his head. Right. Um but now the there's gonna get some overhead lighting. So a little bit of an improvement. Sure. And he does this he's gonna he's gonna take a cruise of sorts. Uh he along with the other creator gods take the, what is called the solar barge through the sky every day. And each deity uh, that goes with him is taking a role protecting or guiding the boat. Uh, but again, this takes a toll on Ra. Uh, as he ages every day and being an old man by the evening, only to be reborn every morning, parthenogenically, uh, via, via his granddaughter Nut, uh, the goddess of the sky. Uh, but, of course, as we saw with Helios, he's he's gone east to west, and now he needs to get back to the east by morning. But for Ra, the day trip is nothing really compared to the night trip, which, it, which is a very wild ride. So Ra has another boat for that, specially made, uh, which is called the Bark of Millions or the Barge of Millions. Now, because this boat has to go through the underworld so he, he does the, the day trip in the sky and then he goes underground, the underworld, the land of the dead, land of dreams, or what the Egyptians called the Duat. Right. And so luckily for us, uh, there was an hour by hour account of Ra's nightly journey uh, placed on the walls of many uh, pharaonic tombs. And uh, collectively, this is called the Amduat or the book of what is in the underworld. I'm going to give you kind of a highlight summary here, and I do want to note that I'm relying uh, partially on the fantastic podcast, uh, "The History of Egypt" by Dominic Perry, hmm. uh, and he has a longer, more detailed, and undoubtedly more accurate <laughs> account that you should definitely check out if you're interested in his episode 82. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so this, this is how the this goes. So the first hour is kind of a party, so it's dark in the underworld during the day while Ra is in our sky. And so his light and energy come back to the underground and the Knothic gods, and they wake up and uh, with Ra's return, and they line the upper, underground riverbanks and cheer his procession and his bodyguards then also assemble on the boat. So just kind of a big homecoming. Everybody's happy that first hour. Second hour, he, he passes through uh, these fields where the souls of the blessed dead are. Mm-hmm. And this is a fertile kind of paradise-ish part of the underworld for those souls who got a passing grade at judgment. And it is kind of a pass-fail system yeah. uh, from everything I saw. And so Ra confers light and energy on them to sustain them in their afterlife. Mm-hmm. Then the third hour, uh, Ra visits the palace of the god of the dead, Osiris, who we're we're certainly going to meet later. Mm -hmm. And there's like this moment that gets depicted on the walls uh, where their eyes meet and they give each other kind of a little knowing masculine head nod (laughs) to renew their alliance. like, yeah, let's (laughs) go kick some deep. Let's go kick some demon serpent butt. (laughs) And and Ra's entourage continues to grow with his snake-headed bodyguards. And so then, you know, that's what they do in hours four and five is, is kick some demon serpent butt. Uh, but there is a slight problem with this because uh, the area they come to now is is a desert called the land of Sokar. And so instead of, so the boat is now a hindrance. Instead of uh, sailing on the boat, it is being pulled uh, by his bodyguards across the sand, all while fighting off giant flying snakes with human legs. Wow. So action-packed and this is happening every night this that's right this is every night (laughs) wow and and so you know you would think at some point they would have come up with something like a cart system or wheels (laughs) uh but you know they stick with the dragging um you know and, and they've been doing it you know longer than i have so maybe maybe that that works for them yeah yeah but uh you know and then the fifth hour they're still in the desert area but then they also come on a crossroads which is a area which bends space and time and it oh. gets like a little summary of their whole journey and Ra kind of stares into the uh, the crossroads and it gives them a little renewal, a little more energy and then the sixth hour finally they, they get back onto the water uh, but this is the infinite water of the Nun again and Ra has to travel to the bottom of this primeval lake and he, he goes deep below the water and he sees a body and he realizes it's a corpse. Now, who, who, do you, who do you think that corpse is? Himself. It is. It is himself. That nice. is right. <laughs> None other than himself. So every night, Ra comes face to face with his own potential death. Mm. And then he has to go through some sort of ceremony to reunite with his corpse. And he gets a little little coaching. For like all the dead pharaohs appear. Uh, And the god of wisdom appears in the form of a baboon. And and they coach him through uh, this this ceremony of uniting with his corpse. So now he's re-energized. He's ready to go, which is good because the seventh hour is the greatest test where he comes across uh, the snake god of destruction, Apophis. And, and I will note that, that Apophis was often equated with Typhon, who was the great snake oh. enemy of Zeus. Sure, sure. Season one. Uh, but every night, Ra faces Apophis. And po- apparently, Apophis's usual play is to use his body like sandbars uh, to try and stop the ship in order to then hypnotize Ra into stopping his journey and therefore stopping the sun for ri- from rising. But Ra has his bodyguards, and they bind Apophis, uh, and then other bodyguards stab him, allowing the boat to pass. So it's been through kind of his his, his the biggest test of the evening. And now hours 8, 9, and 10 are, are actually relatively uneventful. Um, and Ra, you know, he passes out some clothes to some other naked gods. Apparently <laughs> the thing he does, he has a, a little cocktail hour for some of his supporters. <laughs> and then uh, in hour 10, he, he tends the bodies of Egyptians who had been newly drowned oh. uh, to make sure they get a shot of an afterlife. Cause apparently this is for the Egyptians. This is, this is a bad way to go. Yeah. And it, and and it could uh, put at risk your shot at an afterlife. But Ra takes care of it. Nice. Uh, there every night an hour ten so uh, gives a little ceremony to help them out. Then the eleventh hour they start the preparation for the ritual of re-entering the sky and the coming of the dawn. And then our the twelfth hour, all the souls of the blessed dead rejoin Ra. And since we saw them last, both the souls of the dead and Ra have aged, and all now look quite old. So again, mm. he's aged in one night. But don't worry, because Ra is going to set everything back to right as he is reborn, right, uh, to allow the blessed dead also to be reborn. So this is a feature of the of the Egyptian afterlife: is that you are reborn every night and 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 live a full life. Uh, every every single night. Uh, but he has one more challenge in doing this because in order to do this, he has to travel through uh, what is known as the world Encircler serpent. And the world Encircler serpent is just as advertised. It is a serpent who circles the entire world. And so by doing this, Ra will reverse the night's aging process and be reborn as Kepri Ra, the scarab beetle newborn son and again he's reversing the aging process going back in time so to speak so obviously you can't do that the front way uh you have to go uh the back way Mm. so he goes uh through the anus of the serpent oh my and along with all the blessed dead and then is reverse peristalsis vomited out the mouth (laughs) propelled into the sky and onto the solar barge is either a baby or a beetle, uh, ready for the day's trip and to start it all over again. Interesting. And now, so and this is happening
1: yeah. every night. So you every have night those serpents, those battle tactics, the you know the the idea of sort of making a sandbar to get in the way of the of the, of the barge, and yet the enemies never win. I mean, no, I, I Ra, Ra wins every night, and the sun comes up. So it. I'm reminded of like the Washington Generals against the uh, the Harlem Globetrotters, but <laughs> like they have there have to be an opposing team, but that opposing yeah. team can never really win because no. he's the Globetrotters.
0: Yeah. Well, if the sun doesn't come up, well, no, that's it. That's <laughs> how we'll know. yeah. Uh, well, no. Oh, they they got one. Well, talk uh, about a work ethic that is uh
1: that's an astounding twenty four hour calendar.
0: Yeah. And So there we have him, Autumn Ray, the God of the Sun, the Father of the Gods, the King of the Gods. And the predecessor of the pharaohs, and his nightly, daily journey through the sky and the underworld—action-packed—and
1: and all the visual elements of that image really came to life from the boat to the beetle. It was all there. The eye, yeah,
0: yeah a lot of uh,
1: foreshadowing. Fascinating. Well, one of the things I think we'll think we'll le- we'll learn in this season is that many of these uh, elements of ancient Egyptian tradition have multiple tellings. Some that have some yeah. variations on the theme. So I think we'll hear in the second segment of this program a slightly different take on what that journey looks like uh-huh. uh, from the eye, from the, the point of view of another important character. So stay tuned for that. Uh, well, why don't we just uh, take our first break there, I think, and uh, and just you know process all that very vibrant <laughs> imagery you've just given us. And uh, we'll be back right after the break right. with the uh, second section with Hather. Sounds good. All right. And we are back, season two, episode one. We've covered Ra the first half. Well done, Andrew. And now yeah. we're going to get to uh, to the second contestant uh, in this episode, who is, and I had to really train myself to pronounce this. Uh, on good authority of the internet, it is pronounced Hather Oh, so H A T H O R. So, if as a little device for myself. It's pronounced in a similar way to the legendary news anchor Dan Rather, or the less legendary Leave It to Beaver star Jerry Mathers. So I, <laughs> in the same way that you, I mean, it's it's hard because you see T H O R, you associate a god, and you think, oh, it's you know, hey Thor, like you like <laughs> the, the god of thunder is crossing. Hey Thor, how's it going? Um, so I had to train myself to get it right in the same way that you. Uh, heroically did did that in the, our Demeter episode uh, second <laughs> yeah, episode really, of the first really. season uh, I've really tried hard to uh, to keep it to Hather so uh, that is the mother of the sky now I'm going to uh, turn that trick back on you Andrew I'm going to oh, show you excellent an image of Hather uh, let me know when you see it I do I,
0: okay I, And I see can it you now.
1: describe for our uh, non-visual listeners what you see in this image
0: all right, so we have have a a, a lady uh, standing in a in a fairly awkward position where yes. her shoulders are facing one way and her hips another way. Right, and uh, her her face is in profile. Yes, uh, she again has that uh, sun with a uh, snake around it, but That's then right. also. Uh, it's sort of sitting in two prongs, yes. Uh, instead of just floating above her head, and and the prongs are are, are maybe in a pot that is on on her head. Mm. Uh, she has the same symbol. She has the Ankh and uh, the scepter. Yeah, uh, and, and she's uh, standing in a in a lovely uh, orange dress and uh, looking quite regal, but but also composed. I that's
1: that's that's very well described and, and very accurately done. I think one of the things part of why we we want to get into the imagery of this is that you know any anybody any casual follower of ancient Egypt knows there's a certain you know, iconography kind of a visual yep. style to that era and of course because they they there were wonderful artists back then who captured a lot of these images in a very prescribed style in places like tombs and inside pyramids and things we have a very a lot of very really good evidence about what that iconography looked like. So you kind of mentioned the the sort of profile, the sort of looking sideways, stiff and striding, always moving forward, kind of in two right. dimensions. Uh, I learned the left foot is always going far, is, is going first in the stride. Okay. That is a show of strength. That is the side the heart is on. Uh, that is intentional. The body though is, is is as you say, it's sort of facing facing the viewer, but the head is in profile. This is known as aspective view, where you can see. The body as though they were facing you, but very pronounced sort of profile. The eye, very pronounced with very sweeping. Yeah. Um, th- it's a very intentional choice. The Egyptians didn't, you know, they, they wanted to represent the figure, but not give a realistic view. They were more interested in saying, here are some images that we associate with this figure. It will necessarily not necessarily look like the figure, but with those visual cues, you'll be able to know, oh, there's the sun. There's the rod. There's the staff. It must be so-and-so. So a different style of artistic uh, artistic rendering. And I think why they did it, at least the theory that I came across, is where when we saw in a lot of the other traditions, particularly all the way through the Renaissance, art is is intending to capture a moment in time and, and capture realistically what's happening in that moment. The Egyptians thought about it as eternal. So everything that every image they created was for the long haul. So it would be okay. timelessly captured in any era that you looked at that image you would see the same iconography the same style so very intentional but pretty interesting so you you identified correctly uh, you know there's a little bit of turquoise in that in that dress you identified the staff the ankh um the beaded necklace is is there of course the ankh is interesting because and I didn't know this it's sort of and you will viewers or re- listeners will recognize it's sort of a cross but like with a bit of a tear tear shaped hoop at the top right and that of course as you said not just the symbol for eternal life in ancient Egypt, but the actual hieroglyphic word for life. Um, and it is the first cross. So for all of you who think Jesus really put the cross on the map, ancient Egyptians way ahead of him, had it yeah. had it down for thousands of years beforehand. So think again. Uh, so Hathor, one of the original deities very early on in generations associated with a little bit of everything. So as I said, you know, pr- primarily the goddess and the mother of the sky. Um, And a little bit of everything to Ra. This is where it gets kind of complicated because Ra's daughter, but also his mother in a strange way, because of what we'll we'll talk about in terms of that cycle of rebirth, certainly Ra's consort, and also in certain moments, his employee. So we'll we'll talk about that unconventional uh, relationship in some detail here. The maternal side is the strongest. So Hather is is thought to be the mother of, of the pharaohs, those, of course, are going to be the representation of the gods on Earth who rule Egypt over all these, all these centuries. So Hathor is thought to be that mother and is, is often accompanied in in imagery as as the mother figure. Um. So you you told the story of the eye of Ra, and you kind of gave the literal interpretation of of of, of the eye being displaced, doing doing the looking, right. When his children were missing, there's a different kind of articulation in that where there are certain females who become the female form of Ra that is called the Eye of Ra. So less literal, but the Eye of Ra becomes, you kind of assume that form at Ra's command. And you do that when he wants you to kind of exact revenge against his enemies. So it requires these, so they take on a a female, takes on the form, a female deity. It requires them to have a bit of a darker edge uh, to take on, you know, the bit of a, the 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 more the darker side of their personality, and and the Eye of Ra becomes this kind of little elite squad, kind of your kind of an all female secret service crossed with like the the lady assassins from Kill Bill, like a a, a hit squad, Ra's Angels, Ra's Angels, exactly, yes. So, uh, Hather was was kind of the star of the Eye of Ra, of a a, a common uh, practitioner of of that assignment. Now. You mentioned a few symbols, you know, on the good side, Hather had her beneficent side had many, many good things. We're talking the goddess of music, dance, joy, love, sexuality, kind of what I imagine to be a typical Tuesday at your house, just <laughs> all, all rolled into one. Um, mostly the maternal care, the mother to the sons of many of the gods, all about fertility considered not just the model of fertility, but the model of femininity throughout Egypt. So that's why we see her as, as often the mother and the wife of the king, uh, her other consort Horace, was also said to be the, the the sire of all those pharaohs going on down. So the bloodline continues from from the top. Um, one thing when you think about you know being the goddess of the sky and the celestial aspect of where she she spends her time, but also the maternal aspect. There's a natural symbol that comes to mind that would really symbolize what she is, and and wouldn't wouldn't you know it? That's the cow. Now that when you mention the horns on the top of her headdress, those are actually the intended to symbolize the horns of the cow.
0: Okay. Now.
1: I don't know about you, Andrew. I I often see the cow as a re- relatively simple creature, kind of dim-witted, you know, suitable if you're here in the Midwest, suitable for tipping, you know, for for entertainment purposes. <laughs> uh, but really, less of a of a sacred creature, more of a sort of a pre-hamburger kind of a you know future steak uh, to me. But it's worth reminding uh, listeners that cows were venerated in many cultures, including ancient Egypt, and in fact, in some places of the world, still are today. Um, nowhere that I spend much of my time. My, my travels are far too sort of be forward for that, but uh, <laughs> it is still a thing. Um, but because because Hather is associated with motherhood and with nourishment, of course, the cow is the provider of milk, provides calves with milk. In fact, for that purpose, I have poured myself a little shot of uh, of milk here to, uh, to toast you. So. <laughs> mm. That would have been better about an hour ago, um, <laughs> but a great symbol. And also had a few other symbols associated with the lioness, basically over feminine strength, the cobra. we saw that on the headdress, the vengeance, the dang, danger, the dark side. Yeah. And the sycamore tree, the uh, the sort of milky sap, the symbol of life. Okay. So lots of symbols, lots of associations. Also has this sort of sense of multiplicity. So not only a wide variety of roles for Hather, but also multiple versions, multiple manifestations. So some of those ancient texts refer to the what they call the seven Hathers, typically depicted, as you can imagine, seven different cows, um, that were sort of different versions of her. In some okay. writings, there are as many as 362 Hathers, So one mm. for almost every day of the oh, year. Yeah. But she you know, gets a few days off, I guess, yeah. or you do, a, you do a rerun that night, or you bring in a guest host. But uh, because there's so many different versions, uh, there are some scholars who see Hather is as... Less a single entity, more of a type of deity, more of like a, a category, like a, like a hive being. you know so in the same sense that okay. you go to Vegas, you're going to see multiple Elvis impersonators, but all, <laughs> right, right. They're all kind of of a hive. Um, or sports fans from Philadelphia, technically different people, but all just <laughs> one incarnation yeah. of, of of terrible, no matter what the other uh, sport is. So the mother of the sky. You alluded to the the sort of the, the the bark, the boat that takes the 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 solar journey every day. Right. That's where she spends her days with Ra and the other celestial deities, the, the entourage that you mentioned. And and the boat kind of gets to this. That Egyptian concept of sky, a little bit different than ours, much more like a body of water in which the sun, the sun god Ra was to sail every day. Um, it makes sense. In in a lot of their creation myths, the sun actually came from the water. So there's a really close connection between right. those two. Um, you alluded to, to Helios from our first season. And of course his, his sky chariot, sort of the, uh, the aqua version of that, if you like. Um, but as you, as you mentioned, rather than this sort of daily celestial commute, the Egyptians would see the sky as a symbol of the cycle of life and rebirth. So this is where our two accounts differ a little bit from the perspective of, of Hather, because she is the maternal symbol of fertility. She, it is her job to give birth to the sun. Each day at dawn, so every and mm-hmm. the old the old fashioned way, like giving birth to the sun, and you think about that for a moment. Giving birth every day is 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 enough, but doing it that early, I mean, you would <laughs> you would not want to be a a morning person. That would take a great deal of strength. So it's her job to expel the sun out of her every morning, maybe even before coffee, which makes it even worse. Uh, and because of that. She held a number of other titles uh, besides Mother of the Sky. She was known as Lady of the Offering, uh, the Lady of Contentment for some reason, and Lady of the Vulva, uh, which I think is, is quite the title for your uh, your, your business card. Uh, so every day starts with Hather giving birth to the sun. And then, of course, as you mentioned, she accompanies Ra throughout the day in this divine entourage through the sky, through the, the sky in, the, in that bark. She's known as the Golden One. But as the day progresses, according to this telling, the journey the journey changes. And, and by the time, you know, so there's the relationship changes. There's an aging that happens, I think, in Ra. And by the time the voyage is complete at sunset, the sun is going to dip into the water. Now, the Egyptians saw that sunset as the sun god Ra entering the body of the sky goddess. So essentially, she started the day giving birth to the sun. And she's right. closing the day by getting busy with the sun. Uh, But again, this is the cycle of life. So the day ends with the sun god impregnating Hather and fathering the deities that will be born from her womb the next day. And those deities are himself as the sun and the eye goddess, which is Hather as the eye of Ra. And I just I have to keep looking at this sentence again and again. Ra (laughs) gives rise to his daughter, the eye goddess, who in turn gives rise to him, her son, constant regeneration yeah.
0: happens every day. And we you know we we joked a lot in season. I feel one. Like, yeah, go ahead. I, was, I feel like the Egyptians ever saw back to the future.
1: <laughs> they invented many great things, but I think that was a little later. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we 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 joked a lot about how you know in Greco Roman style the early gods would have to marry their sisters or their brothers right. because there weren't a lot of options. And and I would always make the joke, well it was complicated. This mother, mother, son, father <laughs> situation is a hundred times more complicated than I can think of. So later on in the tradition, the new kingdom is kind of the latter era of, of Egyptian, ancient Egyptian history. Yep. And Ra, Ra, the sun god, became associated with the epithet Hamuteph, bull of his mother. So as Kamutefi he was seen as the son and husband of Hather, who impregnates his own mother to give birth to himself. And back, Andrew, when you and I were in college... This is before cannabis was invented, so that wasn't an issue. But if it had been invented, I can see us sitting for hours trying to wrap our minds around that celestial cycle and, and try to diagram it, try to think it through. But that's it's it's mind blowing. So, yeah,
0: that's that's confusing.
1: A multifaceted relationship, to say the least. Um, so I mentioned the darker side now in her capacity as, as the eye of Ra, it was Hather's duty often uh, to protect him against Ra's enemies. And so she had a form called the Hather of Four Faces, kind of a cool move. She would have four faces, each face staring in a different direction one north, south, east, and west to, to constantly scan for threats. And when she was dispatched as the Eye of Ra, Hather could get really wrathful. I mean, we're talking like, you know, Hera from season one, almost <laughs> at that level, pretty, pretty good. And also quite the 180 from her, her normal reputation as this sort of the mother figure, this pleasant cow goddess, this lover of dancing. And what you alluded to earlier, the book of the heavenly cow. Um, one of these particular myths where she really shines, and, and I thank you for sort of stopping short of telling that story because I think you right. knew it was coming. So you teed it up. Ra is displeased at how how decadent the world has become. He knows that there's humans who are starting to rebel. He doesn't appreciate that, so he sends Hather, as in her capacity as Eye of Ra, to exact some punishment. And she decides to become Sekhmet, which is the lioness goddess of a female lion. Pretty good choice if you're going to put down some unruly humans that's, you know, take on a form like that. And boy, does she take the assignment seriously. Um, She just starts, you know, as the lioness starts massacring humans left and right. You know, even Ra, who is the god of gods, is a little bit taken aback. Like, whoa, (laughs) That said, you know, tone it down. So the other gods start to talk to him and they all kind of come to Ra and say, hey, man, you know, you might want to have her pump the brakes a little bit. This is, (laughs) we don't want to eliminate the humans, just, uh, just, Slow them down. So, in response to the situation, this suddenly very stressful situation, Ra does right. what, what many of us would do. And he orders some beer, <laughs> which is a great yes. reminder that, you know, that I often forget the Egyptians invented beer. I'm yes, totally for grateful for that. I'm especially grateful now that I've had a shot of warm milk instead. <laughs> um, but he makes two requests. Ra tells the brewers, All right, I want this beer made with extra alcohol. So you know, not just like a lager. This needs to be yeah. like a strong ale, and dye the beer the color red and pour it all across the land. And so the brewers get to work. They do this, and Heather immediately sees the the red beer all across the land and gets distracted. She pauses her her massacre in progress <laughs> of the humans, and approaches the beer. And I I love this detail. And just starts to slurp it because she thinks it's blood. Like that's how committed <laughs> she is. Yeah, uh, she's to gone. this the security. Yeah, she's. She's so committed to the state of rats. Oh, blood? Great. I'm in. So as a result, drinks several gulps of of this strong red beer at once becomes inebriated and just passes out for three straight days. So when she wakes up, Heather has reverted back to the beautiful benign goddess that we all know and love. So it was like nothing ever happened after, (laughs) after a little bit of red beer uh, and three days of sleeping it off. So it's a good symbol of how, these two aspects of, of Hathor, the sort of being violent and dangerous one minute, but beautiful and joyful the next, uh, really reflects this idea of, of Egyptian women. According to some scholars, there's one Egyptologist who says encompassing both ex- both extreme passions of fury and love, and that's built into every Egyptian woman, uh, according to some scholars. So right. this event. Clearly is a great candidate to be celebrated in festivals later on. So when you're getting right. together to worship Hather, you know they 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 do it all up. They dye their beer red. Uh, the worshipers, they drink a lot of it. Hather was also the goddess of drunkenness. Um, had a sort of proto Dionysian streak.
0: Yeah,
1: probably a no, no small effect because of this story. Um, yeah, so they would drink a lot of the beer. They would reminisce about the story that started it all. And <laughs> hey, Hather, remember, remember that time you you know turned into a lion, almost killed all of us, but. The red beer, the beer saved, the beer us, saved us. Yeah. Cheers to that. You want a couple more? Now let's keep them coming. Let's uh, let's not let that happen again. So let's get your refill. So, you know, a lot of credit in this story. I, I give credit to Ra for being really creative in his management to the whole thing. Um, being able to sort of, to, to, to be, to, to pivot on the, on the fly when the situation got a little worse than he expected. Uh, incredible dedication to the role by how yeah. to really yeah. commit as the lioness. And, you know, Hats off to what could have been the invention of red ale, such as, you know, leading thousands of years later to Killian's red, uh, which most certainly was invented by the time we got to college and uh, <laughs> we were the beneficiaries of it. So there's also, I, I mentioned this up front, there's this, there's a, a, a sexual component to to her, her mythos as well. You know, mm-hmm. she's got this ecstatic feminine power of procreation, but there's also a, a really erotic charge. You know, she's pictured as a beautiful woman. Often scantily clad, often compared to, to Aphrodite from the okay. Greco-Roman tradition, uh, the embodiment of, of, of beauty and love, and uh, she does play a role. And again, our 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 accounts will differ slightly here, but I think they're coming from the same place in creating the world itself. So you talked about At- Atum, the god, who, creator god, who contained all things within himself, and you know, you you really bent over backwards to describe that 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 origin story. Uh, in family-friendly terms, but you know, I think where, where I see a similarity to get Shu and Tefnut uh, born, there were no women around, just Atum, so he had to, as I'm calling it, just start the process himself. But <laughs> the hand that he used to uh, to to accomplish that, the hand of Atum, um, that quote played the female role when no females were around. Well, that became personified by Hather. so she became no not as the hand in the moment, but but essentially came to represent the hand of the creator a little bit later um as she grew up down the road so i mean already putting together a very impressive resume you've got the eye of the sun god you've got the lady of the vulva and the frisky hand of the creator all all <laughs> rolled into one figure uh there is another amusing and and kind of odd tale from the new kingdom the contendings of horus and set and we won't go through all the detail cuz it's a weird one and yeah, i yeah. imagine well, we'll dip into it maybe a little bit later in the season but for sure um there is a moment, uh, yes, where where Ra is insulted um, by another god, and I think you may have alluded to him, Bobby, who is a baboon god. So it's one thing to be insulted by another god, but a baboon god—I mean, that's just you, you, that's going to its going to hit extra hard. Yeah, so yeah. Ra gets very upset, and you have to remember Ra is so powerful that essentially all of life and order were dependent on his on his activity, even his mood. So he's so upset, he lies on his back for a while, fuming and just sort of contemplating his next move. And in lying back, it's suggested in some of these, these myths that if he lies back for too long, he would slip into this kind of inert state, which would cause the end of the world. Because if there's no Ra, there's no world. So he, right. it's a dangerous moment. He, he's so, so fuming, lies back, almost inert. But in the nick of time, sure enough, good old Hather comes along. She brings her saucy side and to, I guess, cheer him up, exposes her genitals to him. Now, this gets Ra's attention, and his response is laughter. He just, he, he, and nobody knows why. He's not. (laughs) It's never been explained why laughter was the response, but he laughs, shakes it off, shakes his head, and just gets back to work as ruler of the gods. So in that moment, the implication, according to to interpretations of this, is that if not for Hather flashing him in that moment, you know, very dark things could have transpired <laughs> in the history of the world, and anything could have happened. But instead, he
0: the end of it, he yeah. just
1: gets an eyeful, he gets a chuckle, gets back to business, and starts doing his job of administering justice again. So, we don't know exactly what he was thinking in that moment. And let's face it, you know, it's always a risky proposition when you're flashed to respond with laughter. Um, <laughs> but in this case, for all of us, everything did yeah. work out in the end. So. You made some some allusions as well to the afterlife and and, and the sort of rebirth nature of of, of the underworld in, in the Egypt tradition, and Hathor has a place in that too. So she was kind of one of these sort of liminal boundary figures, would cross yeah. boundary and you know, literal boundaries outside of Egypt to to be worshipped elsewhere, but also slip between the living and the dead, the uh, the duat that you mentioned. And boy, I mean, I, I think we both probably have a lot to learn about the, the kind of nuances of the Egyptian underworld, but it's a lot different than the underworld that you and I uh, covered in season one. It sounds yes. pretty nice, actually. I mean, like, the, the journey you talked about goes into some of the le- less savory uh, yeah. components of it, but...
0: It's got some nicer districts.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Heather was was working in a good neighborhood, because when okay. she would go down there, um, she was really a guide to those souls who were who were seeking to be taken from one world to the next, so... You know, your casket really was less about dying, much more about a vessel to be born somewhere else. And naturally, because Hather is the goddess of birth and the one who, you know, I I need not remind you, worked hard every morning to pop out the sun. um, (laughs) She was a prime figure in that journey to the underworld. So when in in images of people coming to the afterlife, she's welcoming them in. She's often uh, seen as as presiding over a beautiful garden. Um, not only guiding souls in the afterlife, she would prepare them food and drink, give you a little bite to eat. Nice. she even find a little shade so you'd be comfortable. So uh, the newly dead could have could have milk, drink milk from the seven cows that were the seven Hathers. So really a far cry okay. from the domain of Hades. Yes. Um, but not only that, the afterlife in Egypt has a sexual aspect as well. So we'll hear later on about the Osiris myth and sort of his adventure there yeah. the first time. But he was murdered... And despite that, he finds a way to copulate with Isis, conceives Horus, and this act, the act of creating life, resurrects him and brings him back to life. So essentially there becomes this tradition of after you're dead, you can kind of stoop your way back to life if you know what you're doing. So goddesses like Isis and Hathor would also occasionally make themselves available to those souls in in the underworld to rouse them back to life, to stimulate them back to a a state of coming back, um, and you talk about giving yes. back to your community. I mean, that's just that's just providing selfless yeah. service. That's not—I don't know what is. So, yeah, a far cry from what we saw in in the Greco-Roman tradition. Yeah. By comparison to that, the Egyptian underworld—not bad at all. You know, not this dark place of misery and torture. It's like a pleasant sort of bucolic, little kind of a sex spa where sometimes you <laughs> have such a good time, you get a, a full second chance at life. So. Yeah. Those are the kind of faces of, of our Hather here. Beloved, you know, associated with these great things, beauty, love and music, but also complex, you know, has this dark side, the eye sure. of Ra kind of a assassin whose wrath could be uh, only tempered by <laughs> red ale, apparently. Yeah. Um, devoted mother, daughter, consort to Ra all at once, depending on what time of day you're talking about. Uh, and yet unbound in her sexual appetites, whether she is saving the world by, you know, flashing her husband Slash son, I guess, uh, or serving in the creation myth as is in the quite literal sense the the hand of the king. So, right, uh, quite a tale uh, for one of yes. those, those early contestants, but uh, pretty good case that hather has got some skills to bring to this competition.
0: Definitely, definitely does. That is uh, fascinating. I, a lot of that I had not come across, but it's going to make for some interesting rounds as we come up here. That it will. Great job. Well, I'm going to pour this warm milk out and uh, (laughs) prepare
1: for those five categories right on the other side of this break. Excellent.
0: And we are back for our rounds. We have five rounds, and the first one, as always, is Immortal Combat, where we decide who would win in a physical confrontation uh, either one-on-one or with their entourages mm. um and i'm going to start off you know because this this is uh an interesting one and i mentioned yeah. is it one-on-one I, is it with the entourage um you know and I, I listened back a little bit to season one and early last season uh you know, we said it was more of a one-on-one one battle, but then kind of as the season went on, we started to give more weight to the entourage element. So we are, you know, nothing if not consistent. <laughs> um, yeah. And and that's kind of an issue that we have to discuss because Raw had kind of the ultimate entourage. Yeah, he had a very formidable entourage with him on that boat. Uh, but the real problem is that Hathor <laughs> or Hathor is yeah is a big part of that entourage yeah
1: it's a murderer's row of actual murderers
0: <laughs> yeah and, and and uh you know arguably she was the most important part of his fighting entourage so then get the question is whether hather could beat hather in a fight yeah <laughs> yeah and since there were as many as 362 hathers there are oh. ways of finding out yeah. yeah there there would be yes um sort of some know. sort of cow on cow battle i guess would be <laughs> yes yes uh, you know, and you know, but as when we look at the one-on-one side of it, which may be a little bit easier to sort out, uh, you know, really his his go-to uh move was to remove that eye uh and set it loose on on his enemies. Um sure. you know, surprising that it's not something we've seen in the Marvel universe yet, mm. but uh, I guess give give them time. Um and and this gets into the issue of, of Rod doesn't really tend to fight his own battles. in most right. of the stories that I came across, he's a delegator. He's a delegator. He has that entourage. Yeah. You know, I mean, every single night he takes on the serpent God, Apophis, but Ra really doesn't do the fighting. He, he's he got a whole army of snake headed deities to, to right. do that for him. Right. Uh, you know, it's always that entourage. Um, yes. Now in those creation powers, you know i w- i would think there would be some potential like he could just say there's an anvil above your head yes <laughs> and there would yes. be and if he still has that ability
1: if that's has not gone away yeah could you, come he could be really handy
0: yeah he 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 doesn't really do that uh anymore but uh, that that is one way he could do it um and then again obviously uh he's usually depicted with a sun with a snake around his head hovering over his head um you know but like uh Helios you know there's no story of of him using that sun uh power in battle to vanquish his enemies he de- he doesn't ever just fry no uh, those flying snakes uh with the power of the sun so like, i think there's something holding him back from doing that um yeah and so you know it, it's it's an interesting uh, he's an interesting character in this round. So what do you have for for Hather?
1: Well, he, similarly, we don't get a ton of information about Hather's powers, but we know that she could be very fierce when serving in the capacity as the Eye of Ra.
0: Right. And I think
1: you know the one data point we do have is that she turned into a lion and had to be forcibly stopped from murdering all of humanity. <laughs> so yes. that's a that's a pretty good indication that uh, when she's in the mood for a fight, she she right. commits to it. Um. I'm especially impressed that even with, you know, she could feed, squeeze in those bouts of wrath and vengeance all while still raising a family, you know, holding <laughs> down a full time job, yeah. somehow managing to give birth and endure a very long commute every day. Like that's that's packing a lot into a schedule. So
0: yeah, she had in it the all.
1: same way that Ra was uh, was quite accomplished over his 24 hour calendar, uh, boy, Heather was too, um, committed you mentioned the kind of the, the the hard part about it the trick is in this instance you know she would be fighting ra himself her you know her not just consort and son and you know
0: Fine. lover
1: but also employer who is really in right. charge of of you know of, 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 he's the charlie to her angel um then again in a pinch we know she has the secret weapon of disarming him by flashing her genitals which is a weapon <laughs> no, that's true. so that's it true. did work once before now it got him to laugh and just get back to work. It wasn't necessarily a a fatal blow. So, right. I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, no, no disrespect to the power of Hather. I think, uh, but just as the god of gods, I think Ra uh, still calls the shots and ultimately is still, you know, in his service. Anything she's going to pull off. So I think he still gets my vote for who 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 would win if a confrontation had to happen.
0: Right. Well, you know, when you get to the 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 red ale story uh yeah she she's very fierce in it but she did kind of lose lose it a little bit and that's he, true he used uh his guile to not you know to calm her down in that case but he did use his guile to sort of change her course uh and i and i think maybe uh i think that's enough for me to give it to to Ra as well yeah. Uh, and, so. and even then was delegating because he did
1: not brew the beer himself. He just sort <laughs> no, of art no. directed the process. All right. want to do this want a little bit more color here. And I want you to put it there. Guys, you take it from here.
0: <laughs> right. Yes. That, that is true. He he was not he was not uh, brewing the beer. That's uh, that, is, that is that is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, which you ever thought he could have just created it. Yeah, that that is that is evidence the crater thing has gone away, or he's 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 out he's out of shape on that out of
1: shape. Maybe you lose something in the body of the beer. Maybe just a little more aftertaste when you just conjure it out of thin air. So let you know, let the brewers do their craft. I think we can all agree on that.
0: Yeah. If if she killed a few thousand more while while that's being brewed up, (laughs) yes. What are you gonna do?
1: It wasn't a limitless supply of patience but it was just enough to get the job done.
0: (laughs) Right. What are you gonna do? All right. So I think so. We're both going to go with raw on that one. So the score is one to nothing for raw. And this brings us to round two, which is curriculum deity. Mm -hmm. And this is the dual track. Which God would you rather be? Which God would you rather worship? Who has that it factor? Right. And let you guys take the lead on this one. So yeah, B is,
1: is Heather makes a good case because she's kind of the best of all possible worlds. She's really good at everything, you know, like Apollo associated with love and beauty like Aphrodite has a rocking good time like Dionysus, um, you know, has that dark side, but also in time people were cool about it and they would raise a glass to it. So even that was sort of forgiven despite the, the murderous rage, um, uses the afterlife kind of like almost like her summer home in the Hamptons entertaining people on their way in, you know, having a little bit of a a garden party over here, sort of having a little orgy over here to bring people back to life. Um, So a lot of, a lot of good qualities that I would like to, to inhabit myself. Then again, she is represented by a sacred cow and I would have (laughs) to adjust my beef eating habits, which might be a bridge too far. (laughs) Also having to give birth every morning. That sounds like a lot of work. Uh, So I don't miss having a commute. Uh, every day, the way she has it, but that's asking a lot. So losing some points. i mean, a great deal of respect to any mother who does it once, let alone every day for uh, thousands of years. But um, not enviable for me um, no. to to compensate for the rest of. This. So mixed bag on being in terms of worshiping. Heather had more uh, more temples than any of the any of the other goddesses in Egypt. You know, Dendera in Upper Egypt was the most uh, prominent. There was, I think, you may have mentioned, there was a crocodile god who had the place first but she <laughs> shoot him away. Uh, only yeah. time in history that a cow has overtaken a crocodile. That will not happen anytime soon. Uh, also had a major cult center in Lower Egypt in the town of Memphis, which I did not yeah. realize was originally uh, Egypt. So I said, well, where does it end? Did the Egyptians play a role in inventing barbecue? Was Elvis Egyptian? <laughs> but no, it was it was a different place. Heather yeah, uh, okay. was also worshipped in the temples of her male consorts. So even if she had a very powerful consort that she spent time with, uh, she had a place in that temple as well to get to show some of her pull. Uh, took the show on the road, went to foreign lands outside of Egypt. Nubia, Nubia, Canaan got worship there as well. We talked about the festivals with the music, yeah, the garlands, dancing, drunkenness, plus flowers and incense. So I had the rare treat of a music festival that actually smelled good, which is <laughs> very rare. Um, yeah. And fitting because uh, she was also the, uh, not just the Lady of the Vulva, but also the Lady of Fragrance. So all good smells come from uh, Hather at the beginning. Um, at these festivals, I did learn people would play an instrument called the sistrum, which is this sort of rattle-like instrument, which had a lot of erotic connotations. And would you like to hear what the sistrum oh, sounded yeah, sure. like? Yeah. So it's a little something like this. Okay. I'm not hearing a lot of erotic charge out of this, but apparently it was a very different time. Uh, barely even a pulse sounds more like just sort of a scraping of a spoon on a <laughs> on a washboard. But in any case, it, it worked. It did the trick, and people yeah. really loved it. Um, loved those parties. So as a side note, she was also prayed to privately by women who were seeking children. So that mm-hmm. maternal aspect, you know, beyond the partying, beyond the the, the murderous rage uh, also played a pivotal role in, 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 mothers who wanted to, to have children. Um, there is an aspect of the afterlife. And this, this shows up in both two ancient texts, the coffin texts and the book of the dead, uh, which had spells that would allow people to help a deceased loved one become a follower of Hather in the afterlife. So this was the thing where you know your your status in the afterlife was dependent on how those who loved you in the earth who were still alive, right. they could do things to affect where you ended up. So there were specific spells you could walk through that would get you on Hather's good side. So you'd not only be welcomed into her sort of afterlife spa, but also potentially become a super fan if they told the spells in the proper way. Um, ultimately she had prominence in the old kingdom, but by the time we got around to the new kingdom, uh got became less and less popular was overtaken mostly by ISIS. This is of course not the ISIS we are familiar with, not the sort of uh, no. the irritating, you know, little brother of Al-Qaeda or whatever they are, uh, but yeah. a goddess. And we'll, we'll get more into her later, but uh, ISIS essentially became, sure. essentially became the star of the show. Uh, but yet she still was venerated in some capacity until the Egyptian religion finally wound down in like the early centuries AD once the the Christians took over once monotheism kicked in, and yeah. sent all the polytheistic gods into hiding, where they would lie in wait for the next couple thousand years, just biding time until this podcast came.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, all
1: told, a pretty good, pretty good uh, case for for worship here. Uh, lots of options, lots of fun, lots of uh, of of worshiping utility. So, pretty strong case there. Mixed bag on the B. Yeah,
0: pretty strong case on the worship. What about you? All right. So an interesting one here, Uh, you know, depictions uh, of Ra were were pretty varied. Uh, You know, as I noted, and the most common uh, depiction was a man with a falcon head, uh, which which I showed you. But uh, having a ram's head uh, is another one. Sometimes when he's shown in the underworld, uh, he has switched to the ram's head version. And of course, uh, there's the scarab beetle, which either could be his head or he could be a scarab beetle. Or he could be a falcon or, or a man, uh, actually w- with a regular head occasionally, uh, when you just want just, to get crazy. just to mix it up, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just when he want to get crazy. So, there's a lot of you know different uh aspects he could go through, and you know, and in terms of being again, Ra's life really has kind of those two parts there's the creator part in the beginning where you're you know exercising a lot of uh um creativity, right. Literally, and then there's the sun god part, which which is a little bit more of a grind. Uh, You know, maybe the creator part was a little bit lonely. Uh, You know, it's hard to say how long he was floating around in the in the in the uh, waters there, but yeah. uh, Then he ruled over creation directly for some time, but again, that aged him and tired him out. Yeah, Uh, so he retreats the solar barge. But that's not, not really much of a retirement. Um, oh, no. especially you know, not he, the, the night version. Yeah. No, no. he you know, he's spending all day guiding the barge across the sky. Um, and you notice he has to be renewed and recharged a couple times in the course of his journey. Like, yeah, at dawn, he's reborn at dusk. He's an old man. And then at mm-hmm. midnight, he has to uh, merge with his corpse. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a kind of a he's, he's running 24 seven. It really is. Uh, you know, in that that solar bark operation. So um you maybe can get a, a couple couple winks uh during hour eight when when he's uh handing out the clothes to those uh <laughs> uh naked gods or whatever, but otherwise it's pretty pretty nonstop. Yeah. Um you know, and we talk about Hathor having to give birth uh every day. He's gotta be reborn every day. Yeah, that's not and, easy either. Yeah. and and and, and either he's either being reborn or he's traveling re- the reverse way through a snake. Um, yes. With, with it, with a little uh, reprieve in the middle for
1: doing the impregnation right. of himself. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's,
0: there are certain pleasantries intermingled throughout, but you know, the rest of it yeah. pretty narrow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, again, re- re- you know, reuniting with your own corpse, not really my idea of a hobby, <laughs> but uh, you know, he does he does receive adulation most places he goes and everybody's happy to see him he, he generally has a good relationship uh with the other deities uh his children grandchildren parents consorts who are all kind of mixed up in there together he doesn't really have uh you know a wife he has a number of consorts uh but uh and he, and he does have a number of of children and he is of course for Tefnut and Shu, he's he's styled as both the mother and father, right, of, of them. So yes, uh, he's got a lot of different relationships, um, and he's also got this thing where he has different aspects. Yeah, and where he he's there's a version of him where he's united with Sobek, the crocodile god. There's a version of him where he's uh, united with Horus, uh, who's a sky god, falcon. And in fact, one tomb wall of a of pharaoh listed seventy-five different identities wow. for Ra. So that just seems kind of confusing. Yeah, you know I, mean? I, mean... I have I have trouble dealing with with one identity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so seventy-five seems like a lot of work. Um, now, in, in in terms of worship, uh, there were, were a lot of temples of Ra, uh, most of which were, of course, open uh, without a roof. That um, makes sense. Yeah, you, you would you would want to see the sun and un- unlike uh most of the, these temples most of them were cause they had a big uh statue which would only come out on large ceremonial occasions there were right. no very very few almost no statues of ra because uh worshipers would go in and then you would just look up and you would see the sun
1: yeah it's you can right there it's, yeah, it's see, the you know, why, portability
0: yeah and why, why am i looking at a statue i can i can see it right now <laughs> uh you know and it's surprising there weren't a lot of festivals that were just related to Ra, i think he hmm. he took part in in some but uh, at the beginning of the year there was uh, kind of a greet the sun festival hmm. uh you know worshipers had to get up in at dawn to, to greet the first sunrise of the year which not that crazy about that one no it's um, early in the day yeah no thanks and the, the big one was, was there's a festival of the of the rising of heaven hmm. uh which was shortly after the winter solstice kind of celebrate the return of Ra and the renewal of nature. Mm-hmm. Um you know had a bit of a nature worship vibe on that one as well. But overall that he he wasn't there many temples but not really a lot of festivals. Yeah. So you know it it's they both have a little bit of a grind here. I actually you know when the you really think about it. Uh that these these are some hardworking deities. Yeah. Um which no, no I don't think you could say that about other than Helios. I don't think any of the Greek roman gods that we <laughs> we uh we touched on could could hold the candle to these guys but I'm, I'm gonna close. say i'm gonna say for me i'm gonna go with hather on this one i am as
1: well and i think it is the yes i will i will look past the the sacred cow aspect i will look past the daily <laughs> giving of birth uh but purely the schedule of uh of of ra just seems over overwhelming i mean they're both intense but yeah yeah. And I think Heather had a lot of good times, too. It was a lot more fun, had a lot more in the way of, uh, you know, this sort of erotic side of things. So, yeah, I think yeah. I, w- I will give Heather my vote as well.
0: And there's something about having a beak that's not terribly
1: <laughs> appealing
0: to me. I, <laughs> I mean,
1: I suppose in, in certain aspects, Heather also had, you know, udders. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, but
1: yeah.
0: All right. So there Right. So it is now one to one, which is a great way to start out keeping the tension high. That's right. And that brings us to our third category. Good God. Mm. You know, and and, uh, this is, of course, just the character round, uh, which deity has the bearer character. And here, I I think I would mostly have to give a pretty good score to Ra. Yeah. Uh, You know, he does a fairly good job in the creation of the world. You know, everything seems to work. (laughs) And uh, the Egyptians, particularly, were, were. we're big on that. Um, that he also created the concept of and the goddess of divine order, uh, what they would call Mahat. Mm. And it was continually a battle between Mahat or divine order and chaos. Uh, with Rob being always on the side of divine order, uh, sustaining life, keeping the world going, fending off chaos, and that is what that journey every night, uh, symbolizes is right is is the fight of the forces of order to keep the forces of chaos at bay and it's something that has to undergo every day uh to keep those forces of chaos um at bay. Right. And you know, when he was he was down on the earth, he was ruling uh and he he gave up power of, of being at least the direct ruler of the earth, you know, more or less voluntarily. Yeah. They had won that battle. They had, they'd had defeated the humans. Uh weren't in a position to 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 kick him out. Uh no. but he said, yeah, maybe this isn't going so well. <laughs> so he he, he knew you know, when he, his
1: time had come.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I give him give him some points for that. Yep. Uh takes up the drudgery of the solar barge trip. Yep. Um fighting that giant snake every night. Yep. Um and of course, uh, during the day, you know, shouldn't discount sh- uh Shedding his light uh, and energy on on us, um, he, you know he he helps those souls who are drowned, uh, who otherwise would be missing out on the afterlife. Gives them a little ceremony, which uh, in
1: a in a kingdom that has a giant river running through the middle is probably no small thing. but yeah, a lot of drowning yeah.
0: going on. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that was a, a a fear, and and he, he has that closed drive uh, for the naked yes. deities. <laughs> He's got his charity. Uh,
1: if, if it were naked poor people, that's one thing. I would figure that the, the the gods could find a way to you know pick up an outfit on
0: their own, but who knows? Not, I no, I you know uh, maybe it's just helping them with their fashion sense. We're not yeah, really just
1: more curating a look than uh, yeah.
0: Than... <laughs> he's he's a stylist perhaps, yes. um, <laughs> but he, but he wasn't perfect by any means. Uh, you know there was that I have a raw thing with the rebellion. You can you can blame uh, Hather for for maybe go, taking it a little too far, but he did start it. You know, he, he did, did. He ordered, he ordered the hit. Yep. Um, even though he, he he cooled down and tried to to call it off later. Um, and there is a story of him putting a curse on a goddess who refused to sleep with him. Oh, um, we'll probably cover that later in, in a, in a different episode, but you know, certainly uh bad behavior, not Greco Roman level, bad behavior, but, right. uh, uh, little sour grapes, not, not cool. Uh, so, you know, he, he mostly good, but, but some, some bad thrown in there. Yeah. You know?
1: I think you can make a similar case for Heather, but just at sort of a lower volume. I think there was, um, a lot of strong, good characters showing up and in, in, you know, yes, there were, there was some bad stuff as you alluded to, but even then she was essentially following orders from raw. So yep. just taking on the assignment, just doing her work with gusto, ultimately let letting the red beer take care of it. Um, but you know, the rest of the time, character-wise, pretty good. I mean, great work ethic. You know, all peace, love, and dancing, and fecundity, post-death stimulating, and and lots of milk. So yeah, uh, seem to have a pretty good time. You know, bonus points for the sort of service aspects of helping out in the underworld, welcoming those souls through. Yeah. Other bonus points for helping, uh, you know, would-be mothers, kind of being a recipient of their, um, of their worship and their their cries for help. So. Clearly, a, a, a good a good person all throughout, associated as such. Uh, I think, given the volume and the sort of magnitude of of Ra's expression of character, I think he still gets my vote here. Um, but I think stronger strong characters on both sides. Yeah, just writ large with Ra in a way that uh, that didn't quite match up with Hather.
0: Well, yeah, I think I think it, the the cosmic importance of that underworld underworld journey that Ra takes. Yeah. Every night, it was like, oh, I got to get back to the other side of the earth <laughs> and start this all over again. Doesn't
1: even get a day off.
0: No. And, and every night to just uh, battle the forces of chaos for the earth to continue and that divine order to continue to create a world for us to live yeah. in. I mean, even Yahweh on day seven had to be like, I got to take a break. Is- <laughs> That's true.
1: It's no true. Such, no. no such thing for Rai. He was no so, Sunday a week.
0: Sunday is a day of work for him. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I think I, I certainly not, not uh, based on the detriments of Hather. I think right. You know, uh, uh, the, stakes. the stakes, the yeah. stakes. I got, I got to go with, with Roswell. Yep. All right, so Very that good. leads leads us at two to one going into our fourth round, which is iconography, and this one is, you know, who has the better legacy, uh, in. Many different aspects, which we'll discuss. But who who is is more with us today? So uh, I'll let you start on this one.
1: Yeah, and maybe these maybe these Egyptian ones won't have the same uh, the same impact as some of the Greco Roman right. legacies. There's still some. It's not it's not great compared to that first season, but there's some. So the good news for Heather, she does have a month named after her. The bad news is it's not in our calendar. It is <laughs> in the Coptic calendar, which is a 13 month calendar. Which is uh, now used only by the Coptic Orthodox Church and still by some Egyptian farmers. Um, Excellent. So, in that calendar, the third month is named after Hather. It takes place, we would call it in our Gregorian calendar, between November 10th and December 9th. So, for those of you keeping track at home, like that's, you know, that you would have a single month that includes both Thanksgiving and a decent chunk of the Christmas season all in one. All right. Had such things been invented or were they important to the, <laughs> of the Coptics? Um, yeah. But still, you know, a month is, is not nothing. Um, there's an asteroid, 2340 Hather is out there oh. somewhere. Um, There is a company uh, and a uranium exploration company in Canada called Hather Exploration Limited, which is fitting because Hather was, among all these other things, also the patron goddess of miners in ancient Egypt. So a, a natural fit for these, uh, these good folks up in uh, Saskatoon looking for uranium. Uh, <laughs> so I wish them well. Ah, uh, but not too well because if Canada finds too much uranium, I don't want them building some kind of nuclear arsenal and uh, and and bring any kind of more tensions to our northern border. So
0: yeah,
1: um, good on you for the naming, but uh, you know, don't uh, don't do too well uranium <laughs> miners up north. Ah, uh, so that's that's kind of there's a, there's a few songs here and there that are just sort of weird Egyptian style, you know, yeah. instrumentals. Ah, uh, but that's all. That's about all
0: I could dig up for Legacy. <laughs> okay, all right, yeah. So uh, definitely. Uh, you know, of course, the Egyptians are, as you said, a little less well known in the modern, uh, English speaking world, uh, right. compared to the Egyptians. And for obvious reasons, of course, we are an English speaking focused podcast. Yes, so far. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, um, but there are some cultural influences and historical influences. And yes, maybe even a few YA fiction novels. Oh boy. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, Ra had a large cultural impact. In Egypt, at the time, he was sort of the primary deity for three thousand years, yeah. uh, which is a thousand years on uh, the Christians. You just though in a smaller, uh, more focused area, right. uh, the pharaohs uh, would call themselves sons of Ra. Yeah, and that was uh, their claim of divine right to rule. Uh, was kind of claiming to be in some way descended directly from uh, Ra. Yes. Uh, Ra also makes a rather unfortunate appearance uh, in the Old Testament as the god of the pharaohs and antagonist of Moses. Oh yeah, uh, which uh, is because the Egyptians were are sort of the baddies in, That's in right. that story. Yeah, so so uh, maybe one he would he would like you to forget, but uh, it is there. <laughs> uh, you know, and at least some scholars trace some theological influences from Ra to uh Christianity that I came across especially uh the idea of other gods uh being an aspect of Ra kind of the relationship mm-hmm. of Ra and Osiris who have a bit of a similar relationship to Hathor and and and, and right. Ra in terms of being son father son sort of thing um but in more modern influences um so there is a black american experimental composer and cosmic philosopher Sun Ra. Sunra, I was hoping
1: you were gonna bring him yeah, up. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh All which
0: right. uh which we now know is is a bit like being named like Table Mesa, <laughs> which which literally means table table, <laughs> or shrimp scampi, which literally right. means <laughs> shrimp shrimp. Right. Uh so su- sun sunra means sun sun. <laughs> uh but uh so then uh of course autumn uh God is there's Autumn, the God Eater, which is a character in Marvel comics, and oh. in part of his Autumn Ray. Uh, you know, and now in fiction, uh, we have the staff of Ra is a primary device in the hit 1983 movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, right, right. That is that is the 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 staff that the head of the staff is 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 what they're looking for throughout the whole yes. uh, movie in order to find the ark. That's right. Uh, And there is the book, The Heir of Raw. And this is where I'm I'm getting into a little bit of our YA fiction (laughs) uh, by M. Sazanowski. And it says in that one, an excavation of the fabled Hall of Records beneath the Sphinx unleashes an ancient disease that leaves Alyssa's father fighting for his life. As Alyssa races to find the cure, she stumbles upon a haunting artifact. And trespasses into the mind of an Egyptian god. Mm. So there's, that's what. And then there is The Mask of Ra, which is a mystery thriller sent in ancient Egypt. Um, and then in video games, uh, there's a video game called uh, The Path of Ra to help uh, the spirit of the dead pharaoh tra- travel the path of Ra across the underworld. Oh. So, somebody has taken that underworld journey and turned it into a video game, which actually I mean, I
1: think, it's a natural fit, yeah, is. I, yeah.
0: I think that's pretty clever. So, uh, have to look that one up at at some point. Um, mm-hmm. then, it, there, of course, is uh, mentioned the Egyptians uh, were the inventors of beer, so there are a couple of beers named after raw, right. uh, The one that I thought was the most interesting, uh, was a beer, uh, it's a lager called the Tears of Raw. Mm. Oh, so, yes. And, and then, uh, there is an autumn raw, uh, clothing line also. Okay. So, uh, that, that's kind of what I, what I, what I found on, on him. So, so again, I kept waiting for the holster of raw,
1: but nothing, nothing.
0: No, there was nothing. I would I assume that the
1: staff to... needed to be placed somewhere convenient to his belt when his hands need to be free or he needed to work with his beak. But
0: no, <laughs> no I, know. I, I, I could not, could not find one on that. So, <laughs> which is unfortunate. It is, uh, a lot of a lot of searches came up with things about ra's uh which is not oh, for resident like, like, assistance assistants, yeah, yeah. No. Not, not what I was looking for we have
1: no good stories about that from uh, from our childhood certainly yeah. not
0: certainly uh so yeah i i think on this one i i i'm going to have to go with raw on, on on this i i think he he's maybe broken through a little bit more from, yeah. from what i saw
1: you know, with 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 all due respect to uh, the Coptic farmer calendar and the, yeah. <laughs> the uranium miners up in Saskatoon, I, I think I'm with you. I think Ra gets my vote as well.
0: Yeah, just Sun Ra might have been enough to do it. But uh, yeah, that guy cooked, man. He was good. Yeah, interesting stuff. All right. So we are, it is, uh, so it is three to one. Right. So yes, three we, have to a, one. we have a clinch. We do have a clinch, but we are still going on to that all important matinee idol round clutch clutch uh deciding round often um and uh that is again of course who would make the better movie or limited series right um and I will take this one first um you know so there are a couple different ways I felt like I could have gone uh with a raw movie uh one is kind of a Creation myth Nova style documentary, uh, narrated by uh, da- uh, Lord David Attenborough or, or sure. whatever the 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 most posh British person I could find, <laughs> uh, which uh, you know that could have been interesting, uh, yeah. but you know I really I think it is that night ride through the underworld that has the epic feel that I that I couldn't resist. Um, I feel like it has an arc that's great for a feature length film. Sure. You know, and so my idea was kind of you open on an image of an object launching into a pre-dawn twilight sky. And of course, as it gets closer, you know, this dark object realizes that it is a baby hurtling through the air. And then just as the arc, height of its arc of the flight, uh, the baby begins to mature before our eyes, landing gracefully as a 10 year old boy on the deck of a flying boat. And the boat sails higher. The audience sees uh, a floating text, sort of like a Star Wars style, uh, explaining the daily journey of Raw across the sky and hinting at that more treacherous uh, night journey. So then uh, when it really kicks off, you get the first third of the movie is kind of assembling your team, sort of Hmm. uh, Ocean's Eleven style (laughs) any good action ensemble movie. You meet the snake-headed guards, you meet <laughs> Hathor, you meet some of the other goddesses and gods, uh, accompanying Ra, you know, Isis, Nephthys, Thoth as the baboon, uh, voiced by Sir Ian McKellen. <laughs> um classy. Yeah, you get uh Ra meets Osiris, the the god of the underworld, you know, in his palace, and then we get kind of the action part of the mm of the journey begins a desperate journey, dragging the boat through the sand attacked by right. flying snakes and demons. Yep. A lot of yeah, CGI. Yeah. you get some, some bending of space and time. He confronts his own corpse and merges yeah. with it. Yeah. And then back on the water for that climactic, uh, chase scene with the giant serpent, Apophis. Yeah, you know, when you get your brief, uh, Denouement with his supporters and handing out clothing and, <laughs> and then that final scene, uh, Entering the rear of the snake in the reverse peristalsis, <laughs> yes, and then launching out of the snake's mouth as an object in the dawn sky, dark object floating away from us.
1: And The bookend is complete.
0: Yes, and so it is. You see, oh, it's starting all again.
1: Oh, and If only Stanley Kubrick were around to make that for us yeah, tonight.
0: Exactly, and and I was thinking uh, Dev Patel, nice uh, star of uh, The Green Knight, would would play raw and because uh, this action movie would actually be less weird than the green Knight, <laughs> the green Knight. <laughs> so I think I, I, I think that he could handle it easily and that the in the, the scene of him merging with the corpse i I can just I can kind of picture yeah uh, almost very, directly lifted from the green Knight very good actor he can handle it yeah All right. nice.
1: I yeah love it love it i would uh I would watch that movie with with eyes wide open <laughs> so on the Heather side we talked about she's of course the ultimate dedicated mother giving birth to the sun every morning, accompanying Ra on his journey across the sky. But she's also a ruthless assassin as part of the eye of Ra. And we have to assume that because she's spending her days on the big boat, all that assassin work is probably happening in the evening hours. Yeah. So to make it more complicated, at least in in my telling of the story, she is impregnated each night at sunset and has to give birth the next morning, which means throughout the night she is pregnant (laughs) and becoming more and more pregnant as the evening wears on. So, her movie, the movie of Hather, is the story of a most unusual movie character, doting mother by day, pregnant assassin by <laughs> night. You haven't seen that t- that archetype out there. no. So, you know, we see her avenge the enemies of Ra, uh, undercover of darkness, all while experiencing hormone swings and unusual food cravings. Uh, even as she grows in size throughout the night, as she becomes more and more pregnant, she still moves with the strength of a, of a lioness, the skill of a cobra, and the... A delicate shade of a sycamore tree, I guess. <laughs> uh, and every night to wind down, she calms her murderous rage by, of course, enjoying a few flagons of red ale, uh, just to calm her down, get her back in the mode for for uh, giving birth. Now, it's the olden days, so drinking during pregnancy is it's not frowned upon they didn't just know. yet. Yeah, yeah. No. and she's also, you know, she's given birth thousands of times, so she's she's not worried about it. Um, in the event, if in the morning her newborn son, the the son. Um, has any issue with that behavior, with having a few red beers before before giving birth? She can say, you know, too bad. I'm your mother until around lunchtime when I become your daughter. or <laughs> You become my boss once the, once the sun's headed down. We become lovers. It's 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 all a lot to take in, uh, and then it all starts again because, as we all know, the job of a mother slash daughter employee lover assassin is never done. Uh, so for casting, I, I, the natural choice was was Uma Thurman. I know she, we know she can do all the good assassin stuff from her fine work in Kill Bill. Uh, she also got her daughter Maya Hawk, who looks a lot like her, also a really good performer. So you can sort of do some uh, dual role casting if you need to do any flashbacks, you need to do any multi-age stuff. And as Ra, I think we got to go with Ethan Hawk because okay. you know he is uh, he has sort of both boyish and rugged. He can kind of uh, can 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 work through all ages of man. Also, is Uma's ex-husband. Um, and became that, recordedly because he was a bit of a cad during their uh. marriage. So And he's Maya's father. So there's there's also a lot of interesting sort of behind-the-camera tension at play in them playing these roles. It'd uh, be great to see them all on screen together again. Um, and, you know, in a small but important role, uh, you got to have that flashback scene with Bobby, the insulting baboon god. So who do we cast for that? You know it's got to be Paul Giamatti. I mean, was there any, any
0: doubt? <laughs> no, no doubt at all.
1: Maybe a little bit of CGI, but we know he's got the range, and and he, you know, he he it wouldn't it wouldn't be a movie without a little Paul Giamatti. So that is the ever-pregnant Assassin of the Sky, uh coming soon to a highly experimental cinema <laughs> near you. Yeah, that is interesting. Huh? I like that. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, plays with some unusual tropes, but I think uh it could be something. Well, uh I I, I think I got to give my vote to yours on this one. I think that 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 not only just the the exquisite uh, sort of uh, infinite loop of the tale and and how you spun it, but uh, the that that journey is just is custom made for the screen. I don't know how you can lose with that.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, I, I, I got to give you marks for for uh, some originality in there. I, I like the the you know sa- you know because I think her being pregnant throughout her assassination really adds an extra element of. Uh, tension you know sure you see uh, a pregnant lady fighting with a sat fighting with uh trained killers that's uh you know not good yeah (laughs) stakes (laughs) are high stakes are definitely high uh um but i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with with rob because i do think it has a natural just the story itself lends itself to to the cinema and and we're saying that they made a video game out of it and i'm sure somebody will make that video game into a movie because that's hey if up.
1: if the early episodes of the last of us are any indication there is a way you can make yeah. art out of out of video game. so here's hoping yeah so all right so we have a winner we now, do have a winner i didn't mention this up front andrew but i think is the winner of season two's episodes will they get the golden ankh or is it still the golden apple
0: oh that's a good question uh, uh i thought maybe it would be a golden ale but uh, golden even better, <laughs> golden ale. It is that's right, very good.
1: Because we know yeah. they could both handle it. It would, you know, even if Hather had won culturally appropriate, very good. The golden ale it is sold. Excellent. <laughs> all right, all right. So uh, Ra is the winner of uh of episode one, season two. Well, uh, thank you for a, a lively uh kick in back to the new season, Andrew. It has been yep. fun. Um, a reminder, of course, thanks to the great DJ Andy Snow for our theme music. Uh, once again, this season, we are available anywhere you can find us. We're always here to tell you uh, to like, subscribe, leave a review, particularly a good one. Uh, yep. And the website, of course, the official God versus God playlist on Spotify. That will be renewed with a new song or two per episode starting again now. And by all means, tell your friends, you know, if it was weird enough in season one, Egyptians, we're going even deeper.
0: Yes, we are. All right.
1: All right. Always a pleasure. Well done. And uh, folks... We'll see you soon with episode two. All right. Bye. Bye.